Man, I'm glad you're here. I thank God for you. Those joining us online, uh, we love you guys. And if you're here with us for the first time, man, we are delighted that God has brought you. Uh, maybe someone invited you, but what I believe is somehow God arranged in your life. He moved by his sovereign will to wrap his arms around your heart and draw you to this place and into this moment because he wants just to cover you uh, with his love. So we're really, really glad you're here. You've caught us on a, yeah. <laughs> uh, you caught us on a really cool weekend. One of the, my favorite things about what happened, I want to tell you about 25 years ago, uh, we were building uh, the gymnasium part of our campus, and um, I was up driving rebar down into concrete on a wall that was about two-thirds finished, and a big storm was coming, and they asked me if I would pray about the weather, and I did, and got struck by lightning. (laughs) No, no, but it just poured rain. They've never asked me to pray, and I've had to say, you know, now, I'm not in management, I'm just in sales. Um, But one of the cool things about today Man, you know, when COVID hit back in 2020, we had this big, beautiful campus that God has given us, and it just sat empty for a month or so. And that we have to come on the inside, and we've got a campus big enough to hold everything on the inside. I just thank God for what he's doing. It's not, yeah, he's a good God. But everybody... Um, Today, we launch a new teaching series called Central Strong. Here's the deal. A strong church to help keep you strong. Because life is hard. Life hurts. Life has difficult, devastating struggles. But you get through it, and it's all easier and goes better on the basis of your strength. Your spiritual strength on the inside, your emotional strength and the strength of your relationships. So we're going to spend the next few weeks beefing you up in every regard, especially the most important ways. Speaking of strong, have you heard the story about the strong shepherd? This was no ordinary shepherd. He had to be strong. He had a big flock, a hundred sheep in his flock. It's just that one crazy little lamb wandered off and got really lost. And I grew up in farm country down in central Illinois, little bitty town surrounded by farms. All my friends were uh, farm kids and I'd go out to the farm. One time, um, a, a sow was giving birth to a litter of piglets and the sow accidentally, unconsciously rolled over and one of the piglets was lost. But farmers know there are acceptable losses. But, but in this story of the strong shepherd, he would accept no loss. And so he was going to go after whatever it would take, how long it would take, whatever it would cost him. He was going after this crazy little lost lamb. Now, the story says in the Bible that he left the 90 and 9 in the wild country. Now, the 90 and 9, that's me and you. Jesus is a shepherd. We are the sheep, which is not necessarily good news for our self-esteem. Because sheep are dumb. The only thing dumber than sheep is turkeys. Turkeys look up in the sky at the rain and drown themselves. But sheep, I was, 
at the home of a friend when I was a kid and the both of us, we just ran out into the pasture where the sheep were and we just started chasing them. We thought we were having a great time. His dad about had a heart attack. His dad comes screaming at us, jumps over the fence, grabs both of us, starts shaking us up because sheep are so dumb, they will run until they die. This guy, this farmer, he didn't want to lose his flock. But in the story, the shepherd leaving the 99 in the wild country, goes after the one. And he searches for the one. And he searches for the one. No matter how long it takes, it gets dark. He pulls out his ever-ready battery flashlight and keeps looking and keeps looking, searching for the one that has drifted away. Um, it gets to be time for supper. He's far from home, but he's got Twinkies and ding-dongs in his shepherd pockets. Pulls those out. Keeps on going. It's time for Seinfeld and all life should stop and watch Seinfeld. But he pulls out his iPad and watches Seinfeld as he searches. He keeps searching, searching, searching until he finds that little lamb. And when he finds it, he doesn't kick it in the rear end and say, you crazy, lousy little lamb. He bends down, picks it up and says, I love you, lamb. I love you puts it up on his shoulders and carries the lamb home. All he cared about was doing whatever it would take to get that one lamb, that one lamb, the one lost lamb back safely home. And that's my story. It's your story. Jesus has been on a search and rescue mission for us all our lives doesn't matter how far we've drifted away. doesn't matter what kind of dark stuff we drifted into. Jesus will never stop, never stop, never stop searching for us. And when he finds us in some dark, filthy place, he doesn't judge us. He doesn't condemn us. He says, I love you, little lamb. And he picks us up and he carries us. He carries us back home to God. It's why he's carried you to today. He's carried me here today because um, every one matters to Jesus. This is the whole point. I don't know if you realize that that was a story Jesus told. And he doesn't often put himself in his stories, but in the story, Jesus is the strong shepherd who will go at any price, any cost, any, through any difficulty to get the one. Every one matters to Jesus. And this is good news for me because I'm a one. And it's good news for you because you're a one. And if every one matters to Jesus, then every one matters to this church. I mean, of all the hundreds, maybe uh, well over a thousand people are here today. It, it, it's it's uh, hoping that there's a one that has come back to God. You know, I'll tell you something. This is why I've stayed at this church for 41 years as a pastor. I love the fact that this church has a heart for every one. I mean, you can imagine through the years there were opportunities to go other places, do other things, but how could I walk away from a place, a people, a church where they would do anything to reach every one? I mean, I, I love 
Pastor Moises and our Latino church family. I love Bishop Wiles and our inner city church family. I love Kellen and our Janesville church family. I love all of our staff here. I, I, I love you. It is so, so appealing. It, it, it borders on the uh, irresistible that you care about people so deeply. Every, you care about every one. And so we have this strong shepherd, this strong Jesus, and he is building our church strong. Friends, don't ever bet against the church because Jesus, I'm, though I've been here a long time, I'm not the head. He's the head. We just get to go along for the party, all of us, every one. Hey, let me show you a picture. This is a picture of Caesarea Philippi. To me, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Every time we go to Israel, I take our people there, and it's way out of the way. It's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's kind of a dangerous place. It's on the border, right between the border of Lebanon and the border of Syria, where people don't necessarily like people like me and you. But Caesarea Philippi, what I love, love, love about it, it's not the beauty of it. It's what happened there. It's what Jesus promise there. And it's kind of amazing that he ever found himself there and his guys, the 12 disciples were with him. They knew, I mean, they felt so awkward. I mean, it starts out probably a two day hike. It's 25 miles from the Sea of Galilee, headquarters of Jesus up to Caesarea Philippi. But the people in Caesarea Philippi are so gross. They worship the God Pan, half man, half goat, God of fertility. And so they will have drunken orgies, R-rated orgies to uh, call up out of the gates of hell, the God Pan to bless their crops, to bless their herds, to bless their families. What the heck is Jesus doing taking us up here? But they make the 25 mile trek. And when Jesus gets them there, he does something that turns not just their world upside down, but our world as well. One of the guys there, his name was Matthew. And here's how he records the moment. When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, hey, uh, who are people saying I am? What's the word on the street? What's the gossip? What's the rumor mill churning out about me? What, what are people posting on Facebook? And they say, you know, it's kind of crazy, Lord. <laughs> Some people say you're like John the Baptist, come back from the dead like a quickie uh, reincarnation deal. Or some people are saying like you were like one of the old greats, Elijah or Jeremiah, and you're come back from the dead. <laughs> it's all over the place what they're saying about you. But they don't know you. They don't know you, Jesus, like we know you. I mean, they, okay, to tell you the truth, right at that moment, Jesus had them, those guys, right in the palm of his hand. He had them right where he wanted them, and he begins to press in on them. The first question was a setup. For this question, boop, there we go. He pressed them and, and says to them, ask them, how about you? Who do you say I am? Now, these guys had been with Jesus for two long years. They had listened. They had watched as he taught the masses. I mean, un unbelievable crowds of people. Nobody attracted crowds like Jesus. They saw the sensational miracles that happened just by a word. People got healed. The blind received sight. The lame began to walk. They even saw Jesus raise the dead. Two years of it. They had been in the very presence of God in the flesh. 
but they didn't want to get this answer wrong. I mean, what if they embarrassed themselves by saying the wrong thing? And so they kind of look sideways at each other, some look up in the sky and some down at the ground, anything not to make direct eye contact with Jesus. But one guy, one guy, his name is Peter. He just kind of blurts it out. Check it out. And Peter answered, you, you, Jesus, you are the Christ. Now, Christ is not a name. Jesus Christ, Christ, that's not his last name. Christ is a title. It means king, the anointed one, the king of kings. Jesus, you are the king of kings. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus just shoots right back at him. God bless you, Peter. You didn't just get this answer out of a book or from some teacher. My father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you really are. You are Peter, which sounds a bit odd since Peter knew who he was. But here's what's important for you. This may be the very reason that God brought you here today or has you watching online. God wants to make crystal clear to you what your true identity is. Because this really messes us up in life. Because we think that our identity's wrapped up in, you know, surface stuff. Like me. I'm a grandpa and a dad and a husband and um, I'm a pastor, I'm a son, but all that stuff is fluff. My true identity, the real identity of who I am is all wrapped up in my relationship with Jesus. And if I ever mess up on that, my life goes south. So does yours. But, But Jesus is playing a word game with Peter. When Jesus says to him, you are Peter, he uses the Greek word petros, uh, which means a small chunk of rock. Now, if you know me and my Debbie for years, we've gone out and climbed the Rocky Mountains, and they are just huge, massive um, pile, 14,000 feet high rock. But as you hike, as you climb, you'll go by chunks of rock that maybe one time were a part of the mountain, but there they are laying on the side. That's what you are, Peter. You are a part of the big deal, but you are a small chunk, Petras. But then Jesus, in the next breath, here's the next play on words. He says this, on this rock, Petra, he uses the Greek word Petra, and it means a massive rock-solid foundation. Peter, you're Petros, a small chunk of the whole, but the whole, the massive rock-solid foundation, on this rock I will build my church. Now, when Jesus says rock Petra, this massive rock-solid foundation, he's not pointing back to Peter. He's pointing back to what Peter said about himself. When Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that's the foundation upon which Jesus builds his church. And any church, this church, that church, another church, any church built on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God, it gets strong. Now, now here's the deal. Um, They say a large church like this, if by the end of the year we've had 50 people give their lives to Christ and be baptized Um, We are considered a healthy church. Well, we've already had 77 people baptized this year. Um, 
I, I believe there will be a baptism at the, at the end of this service if you've never seen one. But here's what I want you to know. When I'm in the water with someone, I tell them, you know what? Jesus is just waiting to speak your name. Call your name out before God the Father and all the angels. He's going to fill heaven with the sound of your name. He's just waiting to hear you speak his name. And then we lead them through what Peter said. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He died for my sins. God raised him from the dead. And then I lower them. They are buried with Christ in the water. And then I raise them up out of the water. And they are new, all new. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead brings that person up out of the water into new life. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, Petra, my true identity is the rock solid foundation of the church. Here's the text in context. Upon this rock, Petra, rock solid foundation, I will build my church on the foundation that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And guess what? All the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. As I said, don't ever bet against the church. Some, sometimes, the church has been attacked. Sometimes the church has just screwed itself up. Like in the Crusades, that was super, super gross and stupid what they did. But somehow Jesus always finds a way to get the one back on track and to work everything together for the good, for the one, to make everything beautiful for the one. Jesus finds a way even to help us overcome ourselves. And it, I mean, isn't that um, kind of good news? It's amazing to me that um, our strong Jesus-built church is unstoppable. And when you look around the room, you can see it's obvious we're all a mess. I'm a mess. You're a mess. I mean, we are trying to get our messes closer to Jesus, but we are far, far, far from perfect. In fact, we should have a sign here that says no perfect people allowed. And if you've come today and you think you're perfect, then you're probably more jacked up than the rest of us. So welcome. Um, the, the good news is this church is led not by a messed up guy like me. Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus is unstoppable. All the gates of hell. I mean, the church has had its attackers and has its attackers. Jesus had his enemies. They attacked him. They nailed him. When they had him nailed to the cross, I'll tell you the truth, all the forces of hell were partying. When the nails went through Jesus' wrists, when that spear was plunged up under his ribs and into his heart, when it poured out with a flow of blood and water and he was dead, man, all hell cut loose with party. But three days later on that first Easter morning, God raised Jesus from the dead. Hell could not hold him. Death could not keep him. He was greater than all things. All the powers of hell could not stop Jesus. And not only does he give that unstoppable power to churches like ours, he gives that unstoppable power to the one to the one who was baptized. Scriptures, don't you know, but when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises you up. You get that same death conquering, hell defeating power. You see, um, when COVID hit mid-March 2020 and 
We had to put a temporary pause on public worship. The critics were like, ah, that's it for the church. Church is gonna die. The church will never survive this. But here we are. Here we are. COVID. COVID can't stop the church. Critics can't stop the church. The media can't stop the church. Angry, hateful professors and angry, hateful politicians can't stop the church. It has recovered from every anvil blow that's been given it through the centuries. And here we are strong in the love and the presence of Jesus Christ, even still. Okay, I just wanted it to be clear why I am so hopeful and optimistic about the future of the church. But let me give you the second reason. Um, this is my hope. This is my optimism. In a Jesus strong church, everyone gets in. Every, everyone. Everyone gets in and get this, everyone gets strong. Marriages get strong. Finances get strong. Emotions get strong. Mental health issues, they get new strength. Everyone gets in and everyone gets strong. We get to draw on the incomparably great power of Jesus for every area of our life. Now, how does that work? How might that work for you? That you walk out of here significantly stronger than the way you walked in. How does that work? Well, let me explain by taking you into an awkward dinner party. Luke records it. Here we go. Book of Luke, chapter seven. One of the Pharisees, now a Pharisee was like a religious snob. They thought they were better than everybody else. Worse than being just a snob, they condemned everybody else of being worse. They judged everybody. They judged everyone. It was a political, a religious political party. They judged, condemned, thought themselves better. Well, one of those Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his house for lunch. What the heck? And Jesus says, yes, unbelievable. Why would Jesus go to the home of a guy like that? Because if you went to somebody's house and you ate at their table, that was an indication that you wanted them to be your friend and you wanted to be their friend. Why does Jesus go? Because this guy is a one, just like I am a one, just like you are a one. And Jesus wanted to help this guy, this one, come closer to his heart. So Jesus accepts the invitation. And as they sat down to eat, a woman of the streets, a prostitute, she heard Jesus was there. And she brings an exquisite flask filled with expensive perfume. And, and going in, she, so like she walks around the table. She gets to the head of the table where Jesus has the seat of the guest of honor. She kneels behind him at his feet. And she's overcome, totally just undone. And she, she begins to weep. She's undone because Jesus has completely, unconditionally accepted her. I love you, dear lamb. I'll do whatever it takes to take you home to the Father. He has loved her. You get in. You get in because everyone gets in. And when you get in, you get stronger. And so, I mean, she just blown away. It was like 
um, one of the baptisms I did today, um, after I brought the lady up out of the water, she was just weeping, undone. And I, I asked, you know, what's going on in your head? What's going on in your heart? What are you thinking? And she just, I had a hard time getting at the words, but she said, I'm so thankful. That's this lady. She's down on her knees and she's weeping. Have you ever wept and your tears fell on your lap and you saw them there? Or your tears fell on a page of paper or on the table? Well, her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. And she sees it finally. She's like, oh my gosh. She does something that no woman would ever do in public. But this woman was rather accustomed to unloosing her hair. She lets down her hair and begins to wipe her tears off the feet of Jesus. And then something goes off in her heart. She does the unthinkable. She begins to kiss the feet of Jesus. And then she comes, gets herself together, realizes while she's there, she opens that flask. And you know, perfume, a little dab do you? No, she pours out the whole bottle, extravagant, lavish generosity on Jesus. Now everybody sees, I mean, the Pharisee dude, he's got a ringside seat. He's about to blow a gasket. Let's show them as the text goes on. We can screen, keep screening. There you go, one more. We got past, there we go. The Pharisee saw all this. That had a heart attack. He said to himself, if this man was a prophet, man of God, he'd know what kind of woman was, oh, gross, touching him. She's a sinner. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think gets to walk away from this dinner stronger than when they came in? It's a good question because it'll happen in this room. Somebody's walking out of this room stronger than they came in. You think it's the judgmental jerk who's going to walk out stronger? Or do you think it's the woman who brought her weakness to Jesus? Jesus wants the judgmental guy to understand how desperately he needs to be forgiven. So Jesus tells him a story, and here's the end of the story, and it's a good, it's a good lesson for us. At this church, if we are a Jesus church, there is zero tolerance for judging anybody of anything. Yeah, so, so he tells the story. The Pharisee gets the point. But then Jesus turns to the woman and blows her away with these words. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. You get a new start. You get a clean slate, a, a, a fresh go at life. You don't just get a, a new tomorrow. You get a whole new life. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And can you imagine how the knowledge, it's not just that Jesus loves me and that Jesus welcomes me and Jesus accepts me. Jesus has forgiven everything, past, present, and future. You see, when I say zero tolerance for any judging here, the church is to be a hospital where weak and broken and hurting come to get strong. I'm going to believe that woman never, never, never stopped following Jesus. 
she began to do life, carried along in his strength. And you, t- you can too. You can draw on, you can do life, you can do marriage, you can do finances, you can do emotions, drawing on the strength of Jesus. And maybe you say, well, how? Well, remember that Peter guy? Here's how he answered that question. He said, change your life. It's your life, the way you think, what you're doing that's making you weak. Change that. You wanna get strong? Turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? So your sins are forgiven, washed away. There's another big time guy, New Testament, wrote most of the New Testament. His name was Paul. And here's how he laid laid out the challenge. He said, what are you waiting for? Get up, get yourself baptized. Don't wait another minute. You'll be so grateful. Get scrubbed clean of all those sins and get personally acquainted with God. Oh my gosh, that's where the strength comes from. It comes from our relationship with God. And as that relationship grows, our strength grows. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.